Hi all, you're listening to At The Bean, a medical education podcast where we discuss high-yield oncology with a focus in radiation oncology. We are Trudy and Josh, and thank you for listening. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of At The Bean. Today we're going to discuss the workup and management of nasopharyngeal cancer, which is a relatively uncommon cancer in the United States. It is endemic to regions of Asia and Northern Africa. So before we get started, I think it's important to understand the anatomy of the nasopharynx. You can picture the nasopharynx as a box with the posterior cone as the anterior border, the C1 to 2 vertebrae as the posterior border, the skull base as the superior extent, down to the soft palate. The lateral boundaries are the torus tuberis and the fossa rosenmuller. Important to know that most nasopharynx cancers arise from the fossa rosenmuller. So Josh, a 55-year-old male, presents to you with a left neck mass, which was biopsied on the outside and shows a non-keratinizing carcinoma. His ENT did a flex scope and saw a mass in the nasopharynx. What specific details are you most interested in while obtaining a history? All right, yeah, so for history, I'd be interested in assessing for any cranial nerve palsies, which is present in about 10% of patients. Uh, this is why understanding anatomy and pattern of spread is so important in nasopharynx cancer. So if the tumor extends superiorly, it can invade into the cavernous sinus and can compress and involve cranial nerve 6 first, and then 3 to 4, which can cause diplopia and ocular motor signs. Um, this is known as petrosphenidoil syndrome. And um, if they're bulky retropharyngeal nodes, these can push on cranial nerves 9 to 12, which should then result in an ophthalmos, uh, ptosis, and meiosis. This is known as retroparotidine syndrome. And uh, facial numbness can be a result of the 1 and 2 involvement, which also resides in the cavernous sinus. Exactly. Any of these clinical signs would indicate locally advanced disease and automatically be considered a clinical T4 due to cranial nerve involvement. So Josh, through what foramina can nasopharynx cancer invade superiorly? That'd be the uh, foramen lacerum and foramen ovale. Okay, good. And what are some other symptoms a patient with nasopharyngeal cancer present with? Yeah, so over half of patients will present with a neck mass, and other symptoms can include uh, epistaxis, headache, talgia, and nasal congestion. Good job. So again, the cranial nerve deficits represent clinical T4 disease. So you're seeing this patient in the clinic. What will the focus of your physical exam be, and how do you want to work up this patient? He's already had an FNA of his neck mass and scope at an outside facility. Yeah, so I'd like to repeat the scope to assess the anatomic tumor extent and evaluate for extension into the nasal cavity or oropharynx. So on exam, I would carefully assess the cranial nerve deficits and cervical lymphadenopathy, since the majority, anywhere from 60 to 90%, can present with palpable lymphadenopathy, and up to half of patients will have bilateral neck involvement. For imaging, I'd like to get an MRI with and without contrast to image the base of skull, nasal pharynx, and the neck extending to the clavicles as well as getting a PET-CT for full staging, as well as EBV DNA titers. Okay, so on exam, there is a mass in the nasopharynx involving the fossa of Rosenmuller and extending to the roof of the nasopharynx, torus, and soft palate. There is also a palpable 4-centimeter left level 2 lymph node right below the angle of the mandible. On MRI, the index mass demonstrates parapharyngeal extension. He has bilateral level 2 lymph nodes measuring 3 and 4 centimeters in max dimension plus a left retropharyngeal lymph node. His PET-CT is negative for distant METs. EBV titers are 1,000. What is this patient stage? 
Before we stage this patient, it's important to understand nasopharynx cancer staging. So T0 represents no primary tumor, but an EBV-positive lymph node. Uh, if the index lesion is confined to the nasal cavity, nasopharynx, and oropharynx, it's going to be a T1. Um, if the tumor is extending into the parapharyngeal space and or the muscles, uh, such as the medial uh, pterygoid, lateral pterygoid, or prevertebral muscle, it's going to be T2. Once the tumor starts to invade bone, it's T3. And if there are more tumor extensions superiorly, say into the brain or involving the cranial nerves um, or laterally involving the parotid or going beyond the lateral pterygoid muscle or anterior into the orbits or inferior into the hypopharynx, then it's going to be a T4. For nodal staging, the caudal border of the cricoid is an important landmark. So N1 or or unilateral cervical lymph nodes, or any retropharyngeal nodes that are less than or equal to 6 cm above the caudal border of that cricoid. Uh, clinical N2 is uh, bilateral cervical lymph nodes that are less than or equal to 6 cm above the caudal border of the cricoid. Uh, clinical N3 is any cervical lymph nodes that are greater than 6 cm, or any lymph nodes that are below the cricoid. So this patient had an index lesion involving the nasopharynx and oropharynx extension into the parapharyngeal space. So his uh, Clinical stage is clinical T2, since there are bilateral level 2 lymph nodes that are uh, smaller than 6 cm. His clinical nodal staging is uh, clinical N2. So his stage would be a clinical T2, N2, M0. Fantastic. Um, the cricoid is an important landmark, and intuitively, the further from the nasopharynx the lymph node is, the more advanced the disease will be, which is why any lymph nodes below the caudal border of the cricoid are clinical N3. So let's say you went ahead and had his outside pack reviewed at your institution, and they agree with the diagnosis of a non-keratinizing carcinoma. Josh, can you go over the different histologies of nasopharyngeal cancer? Yeah, so you can broadly divide nasopharyngeal cancers into two subtypes, uh, keratinizing squamous cell carcinoma and non-keratinizing. So let's talk about keratinizing uh, SCC first. So this is also known as a WHO type 1 or the sporadic form and makes up to a quarter of cases. So this is associated with smoking and tends to have uh, less of a propensity for distant meds, but local control might be challenging in these cases. The second type is non-keratinizing, which can be further divided into differentiated and undifferentiated. So non-keratinizing differentiated is also known as uh, WHO grade 2. Uh, this undifferentiated form is uh, un also known as WHO grade 3 and is endemic in regions such as Asia and strongly associated with EDV. As opposed to the differentiated counterpart, undifferentiated is more likely to metastasize distantly. Great. So going back to this patient, he has a clinical T2N2 cancer, which would label him as a stage 3. What is your recommended treatment option? Yeah, so treatment paradigms for uh, head and neck cancers vary by subsite, including different variations of surgery, radiation, and or chemotherapy. So for this patient with a locally advanced EBV-associated nasopharyngeal cancer, I would recommend induction chemotherapy with gemcitabine and cisplatin, followed by definitive chemo-RT with concurrent cisplatin at 100 milligrams per meter squared every three weeks. I would treat all sites of gross disease on exam and imaging, uh, this is uh, post-induction chemo, to 69.96 gray. And the surrounding high-risk regions would also include a 5-millimeter expansion upon the CTV, 69.96 to 59.4 gray. And the high-risk volume, I want to make sure the entire nasopharynx and skull base were included, plus the anterior clivus, pterygoid plates, pharyngeal space, inferior sphenoid sinus, retropharyngeal lymph nodes, posterior nasal cavity, maxillary sinus, soft palate, 
bilateral neck levels two to three and high level two. For the low risk neck, I would treat uh, bilateral levels four and five B uh, down to the clavicle two fifty four grade. So all those levels will be delivered uh, using a simultaneous integrated boost in thirty three overall fractions. In these type of cases, surgery is not routine, although it can be uh, reserved for salvage in specific situations. Excellent job. Yeah, and remember to contour in the bone window to make sure you're properly covering all the foramina properly. Also, remember if you have a T3 to 4 lesion, which is bone or cranial nerve invasion, be sure to cover the entire sphenoid and cavernous sinus. So before starting treatment, would you recommend any sort of screening or clearance? Yeah, so I would want to ensure that our patient sees their dentist before starting radiation therapy. Um, there'll be significant doses to the parotids uh, due to trying to cover the nasopharynx and um, uh, some of the nodes. So um, there'll be risk for xerostomia and related xerostomia-related um, cavities. Uh, furthermore, the maxilla and likely the mandible get significant dose, which can limit extractions in the future. Okay, good. How are you going to sim the patient? Yeah, so I want to make sure to get a CT sim with contrast with a patient in a supine position and the head slightly extended um, that's immobilized with a long mask. Uh, to ensure that the dose distribution doesn't become variable uh, upon delivery, I want to ensure that the shoulders are uh, stabilized with this mask and brought down inferiorly as, as comfortable or as much as the patient can tolerate. Um, I'd also consider using a mouth-opening tongue-depressing stent to separate the nasal pharynx from the non-target oral structures, um, if the patient can tolerate this. To help with target delineation, I would fuse the diagnostic MRI and PET-CT scans with our SIM-CT. Okay. Um, and then what are your relevant OARs and dose constraints for a nasopharyngeal cancer case? So for this case, we're going to look at a brainstem D-max of less than 54 gray, uh, the core D-max of less than 45, optic chiasm to 54, and the uh, cochlea V55 less than 5%. Uh, the parotid mean, we wanted uh, less than or equal to 26 grain, at least one of the parotids. However, if the patient had a T4 cancer with extensive intracranial extension or full thickness clival involvement, um, we don't have to weigh risks and benefits with taking critical structures to higher doses um, versus undercovering the target. Great. And then what are some of your treatment evaluation considerations? Yeah, I want to make sure we use uh, intensity modulation to ensure we can appropriately allocate our doses to different risk levels, uh, the 69.96 gray, 59.4, and so on. Whether this is done via a static angle IMRT or VMAT with ARCs um, doesn't really matter, uh, depending on uh, where you are. Uh, homogeneity and low-dose control is also important as non-target tissues are at risk and can contribute to toxicity. Great. So your patient's scheduled to start chemo radiation. How are you going to counsel him? How are you going to counsel him on side effects? So in the acute setting, I'd discuss uh, xerostomia, dysquasia, thick secretions that could occur, uh, nasal and oral mucositis. Uh, there might be some dysphagia, dinophagia, uh, fatigue, and nausea as well that's related to the treatment. Um, on the chemotherapy standpoint, the risk of uh, nausea is elevated, as well as neuropathy, uh, renal dysfunction, and blood count issues. Long-term, um, patients often do well, but there are some long-term toxicities from both chemo and radiation that we want to keep an eye out for, such as uh, long-term xerostomia, dental decay, dysphagia and dysquasia, uh, peripheral neuropathy, as well as hearing loss. Um, if the disease is extensive and requires uh, more critical structures, there might be other additional risks that we want to consider. 
Okay, very good. And how are you going to follow this patient after he completes chemo radiation? Yeah, you want to follow up with a thorough history and physical as well as a uh, nasal laryngoscope every three months for the first year. And then you can lengthen that gradually after the first year to eventually annually after year five. You also want to get a post-treatment PET CT at the three-month mark and another EBV titer after treatment as this can have some prognostic value. Strong work. Good job, Josh. Um, this concludes our episode on nasopharynx cancer. Thank you, Dr. Beth Beadle at Stanford University for helping us review today's case. You can find the show notes on our website at thebeam.com. Be well and remember to trust, but always verify.